it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, 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 and welcome. This is Talk the Plank, episode 50. Episode 50, we've made it this far. A Pittsburgh Pirates podcast on SB Nation's Bucks Dugout. I'm Nathan Hirsch, and I'm here with Jake Slobodnik. Jake, what's going on? I'm actually just got out of work. Had a great Monday there. Um, Here to talk some bucko baseball for at least the final time this uh, for, you know, in-season coverage. So it's been a good Monday so far. Pretty good myself. Yeah, pretty good Monday. I guess we could just dive right in here. So, yeah, the Pirates season is officially over. They finished the year 61 and 101. Couldn't quite avoid the 100 loss season, but they hit the over on the season win total, which is a very nice thing, I would say. Um, in the draft, they will get the fourth overall pick. They were just a game better than the Texas Rangers, who were just slightly worse enough to be, uh, higher in the draft than the Pirates, but I don't mind. One quick final little series wrap up. The Pirates had their 16th chance to get the series sweep. Could not do it. They beat the Reds two out of three games. And probably the most exciting part of this series was the debut of O'Neill Cruz. And he kind of set the Pirates off into the offseason with a bit of fireworks. He hit a pretty much meaningless two-run shot in the bottom of the ninth. The Pirates were down 6-1 to one at the time. They made it 6-3. to three. But, uh, man, that home run was impressive. He kind of got out on his front foot got his weight out ahead of him, but was able to keep his hands back just enough to poke the ball 408 feet over the right field, right center field fence, 100 plus 
you know, exit velocity, and there was a changeup below his knees. He's six seven. He shouldn't be able to get to that ball. But uh, O'Neill Cruz, pretty impressive. I was impressed with what I saw, and it was just it was fun. It was fun to see him uh, perform, even if it was just for two games. What did you think? Yeah, I was impressed with his debut, um, especially that final game where he hit that. Yeah, it was meaningless two run home run, but. I mean, after a game where the fans were really just kind of silent, they gave him a reason to cheer, sent them home somewhat happy. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it displayed his power. It was out of the zone, around the ankles, I'd say. He golfed at it, went down to one knee, and still hit it at over 400 feet. So I think that's just a little bit of a taste of what we're going to see from O'Neill Cruz in the future. It sucks that he did that in his, in his uh, you know, in the final game of the season, a, short, a small sample size. Uh, but I think it'll definitely draw the fans back next year whenever he's finally, and I seriously think he's got a 40 man or he's got an active roster spot next year. I, I would, I, I think the only thing that would keep him away from that is injury, but I was impressed with what I saw from him. I mean, he had a, the hardest hit baseball for the pirates in the stat cast era in his, yep. or for his first major league hit. Second, and, second, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was his first, but either way he had two hits that is in his debut. That's definitely not a bad day at the office. Um, picked up a few RBIs too. So overall, I think I was pretty impressed with what O'Neill has, you know, has shown us in the two games that he's played. I'm excited to see what he brings next year. And I think he'll be, uh, he'll be a solid role or a solid. Uh, yeah, I agree. Three for nine with the two singles and the home run for sure. I do think that uh, he'll probably start the year triple a because although he was, he hit five home runs and six triple a games, he did, still just play six games so i think he's gonna start the season at triple a kind of like rowan to Contreras, the pitcher who we saw in the series previous um both of them will probably start at triple a but i do think in june depending on how the cba goes and how they uh do or do not affect player um service time and what what happens with that but if, if they have the same rules then I would expect uh, Cruz and Contreras to be called up probably June next year. You know, blah, 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 service time manipulation. That's probably going to happen. Um, I will say, though, I kind of like this new Ben Sherrington approach of just letting these super top prospects get get a few games, get get some big league action at the very end of the season, you know, when the season's done. Neil Huntington never did anything like that where Cruz got to play two games, Contreras got to pitch in one game, and they barely got any time in AAA. Um, you would think maybe next year, like some candidates to be the end of the year when the season's already over type playing time guys, like perhaps we'll see Nick Gonzalez for the final series next season or uh, Olivier Paguero. Or maybe even we might see Quinn Priester get a start at the end of next season. I kind of like the fact that he's been doing that and letting these guys get a get a small little taste. And then they'll take that into the offseason. They'll work harder to get to the majors even faster. And uh, I do think next season, in June, or whenever that may be, perhaps, perhaps the service time manipulation gets switched and perhaps Super 2 is a little sooner in the season. Maybe it's May, maybe it's end of April. We'll have to see how the CBA is hashed out this offseason, if it's hashed out. But, uh, yeah, it was really cool to see um, see both of those guys play. And uh, O'Neill Cruz played two games, 11th best position player on the Pirates, according to F4. 
this season. 0.1 war in two games. So that was pretty cool. That's funny. And yeah, the 118 mile an hour line drive shot to right field on Saturday night, that was extremely impressive. So I'm excited for him. I'm excited for Contreras. Um, season sucked, but uh, there's there's a bright future ahead. I think this is the worst of it. Yeah, and I sure hope so, because I don't think we can take another year of this. <laughs> I really don't think so. Um, but yeah, I, I like what Charrington did toward the end of the season. I think it kind of shows that he's probably going to give Rolansi and O'Neill Cruz a decent chance at the MLB next year if they don't start the year there. Um, cause I mean, why would you bring guys up at the end of this season if they're, if you don't intend on having them up next year? So that's going to be interesting. And it, I can't believe we're already at this point where we're thinking that Quinn Priester is close to his major league debut. It seems like, it seems like yesterday they just drafted him, but I'm excited to see what next year holds. I do think I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a lot better than this year. I don't think it'll be as bad, but watch me say that. And then it turns out to be worse than this year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what next year brings. Hopefully it brings a few more wins and definitely no triple-digit loss count. That would be spectacular. That would be a great step in the Yeah, I mean, I will say, though, too, that uh, the fact that they did get to 61 wins, some might call that an actual miracle um, because for a time there, it was looking like they were going to be in the 50s, maybe even the 40s. But over their past past like the final six weeks final month of the season they were able to play 500 ball and uh, that in itself is nice to see I don't really believe in end of season momentum carrying into into the next season but at the very least it was it was nice to see them actually win some games at least they look pretty decent at home in general as well but uh yeah I mean it was a rough season. It was a pretty long season, but there there were some positives, and uh, I think we could get started here now and kind of get into our end of the season awards here, and kind of kind of hash those out. You you got your list of players who won each thing. I do. I'm ready to go. All right, we'll start it off. We'll start it off with the uh, the Andrew McCutcheon Award, aka. The team MVP award. This one is pretty obvious. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you start it off though. Who's your team MVP for the Pirates this season? Team MVP for the Pirates this season, Michael. <laughs> per- I'm kidding. It's Brian Reynolds. That's that's obvious right there. I mean, the only 300 hitter for the Pirates. Consistent performances. Dude was a stud. There was no doubt about. That. Yep, exactly. Uh, he was a stud. 24 home runs. 90 RBIs and 646 plate appearances. So he played the full season, 159 games played. That's impressive. Strikeout rate below 20, walk rate above 10%. The final line, the final slash line, 302, 390, 522. Uh, The OPS above 900, the WRC plus, I'm just pulling out every freaking stat here, 142. And then on, on the war side, F war 5.7. And I believe his baseball reference war was above six. He just was a straight up stud. He basically was like a slightly less good version of Andrew McCutcheon. And I mean, hitting wise, he was just about as good as Andrew McCutcheon. McCutcheon was probably a better fielder in center field during his prime in Pittsburgh. And obviously the base running, the speed McCutcheon 
definitely better. But Brian Reynolds, definitely uh, McCutcheon-esque season, I would say. And uh, I pulled this up. I was wondering. So individual season-wise, I was like, how good of a season was this since the year 2000? Individual seasons, uh, Brian Reynolds 2021 was the 10th best since 2000 via F4. And uh, the only players ahead of him, McCutcheon had a higher F4 four times. That was from 2012 to 2015. All four seasons was above 5.7. Brian Giles two times in 2000 and 2002. And then the, uh, the crazy good catcher seasons, which catcher is a little skewed towards war. Russell Martin and uh, Francisco Cervelli in 2014 and 2015, mm-hmm. respectively. And uh, Jason Bay, 2005. Those are the only seasons that were better than Brian Reynolds this season, according to F war. And yeah, he was just, he was great. He's going to get MVP votes. I would, I would guess that uh, thinking about it, he could potentially, let me just look at the list here. He could potentially finish top seven or so in the, uh, MVP voting. Let me see. I'm just going to look at uh, just the war list in the NL. It's going to be between probably Bryce Harper, maybe Trey Turner, maybe Fernando Tatis, but Brian Reynolds had the fifth highest F war in the NL. So, I mean, he, uh, he's going to get MVP votes. He's, I would guess that he's going to finish around seventh or so, but just an all around amazing season from him. And, um, you know, in the future here, when we do pods in the off season, we're going to have to talk about what an extension might look like. But for now, we can just kind of celebrate how great he was. Because he was great. Because his team sucked really bad. Uh, the protection around him on the, in the lineup rarely was good. And uh, he just, he, he was great. A really great season from Reynolds. And you really hope that this is the norm from him and not like a career season. But uh, you have anything to add there with Good old Brian. Well, just to go back to your point about how difficult it is to really perform when you're t- when the team around you is underachieving, and I'll, I use that with air quotes around it. Um, he went out there every day. I mean, it just shows he loves playing with the Pirates. He loves the game of baseball. He he is talented in every facet that you can think of. Guy's fast. Guy can hit defensively. Obviously, two years in a row, maybe three years in a row, Gold Glove candidate. If you think about it. Um, just all around, I'm. I hope that we get an extension dealt this off season because, I mean, th- we would be stupid not to. But yeah, I think it, there. Like I said before, there was no contention for this award other than it. Yeah, easily. I mean, he was easily the Pirates' best player this season by by a long shot. And uh, like I said before, I I'm very interested to see where he lands in the MVP voting race. Obviously he's not going to win, but I'm interested to see if he could crack potentially the top five, but at least get votes and make the top 10. I think top 10 is a lock, but uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, all right, let's move on to the next award here. We'll call this the, uh, the AJ Burnett. <laughs> Best pitcher of the season award. That's just the random good pitcher I thought of. But uh, who is your best pitcher this season for the Pirates? I think it only comes down to one, one, maybe two names. But the one that stuck out to me the most was David Bednar. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
especially, you know, with not winning as much, obviously the closer role is more delegated to locking the door and shutting it. Uh, but David Bednar came in both middle relief setup roles and closer this season. And in his first full season in his home and, you know, his homeland three and one record, two twenty three ERA and 61 games, 60 innings pitched uh, 0.97 whip. That is stellar for your first season with a team. Um, and really I, you know, when we first got David Bednar, I feel like a lot of people didn't really think that he would pan out, maybe be, you know, the, you know, the typical major league ready guy won't do too great, but also won't suck either when we got him for the Musgrove trade. But right now I think he's one of the top, uh, one of the top results from that trade. So um, especially with how he's produced this year and, He's kept a cool head on his shoulders. Again, he's like Brennell. Do you see that he loves being with this organization? I mean, clearly he's, I mean, he grew up here. So, I mean, he entered to renegade for God's sakes. That's how, how much he bleeds black and gold. But like, um, just overall, every time he took the mound, he impressed me. His curveball is something that's going to be effective in the future. Uh, gets up there in velocity as well. Um, so for me, this was also a lock. David Bednar, my choice for the A.J. Burnett. I agree. He definitely, to me, uh, deserves that as well. I will say, I think David Bednar is hes the clo- closer of the future for this team. Uh, starting next season, I think he will be the closer. The ERA, like you said, really great. 223 strikeouts, great. Over 60 innings pitched fastball average 97 miles per hour so his stuff is really good um definitely the pirates best reliever this season i will say when it comes to the musgrove trade you hope that some of the other pieces such as hudson head hudson head's like the main piece i would say in that deal if it was musgrove for bednar straight up i i would not be very happy about that because obviously it's a really good starter for a really good reliever but um if some of these other players work out in that trade, then I would say it's a good trade. But for Bednar specifically, just a solid season, solid first full season from him. And um, I will say, though, I have to give a, stra- a shout-out to Chris Stratton. 79 and one-third innings pitched. Uh, the ERA in the 360s, 363. He just all season long, he got – he got lit up at times, but he was very consistent. His curveball has one of the highest spin rates in baseball, and that's even after the sticky stuff uh, scandal, I guess, if you want to call it that. Chris Stratton was really solid. He might be a solid trade asset this offseason if the Pirates choose to do so, but I, I think next season, if you look at it, if your eighth and ninth inning guys are Chris Stratton and David Bednar, that's a good start at least for the bullpen. Maybe if you want to throw Shreve in there as the seventh inning guy, I don't know. I think he kind of got a little uh, a little lucky at times, and his his uh, ability to get out inherited runners not so great. But um, those two at least, Stratton and Bednar, I think that's a decent little eighth eighth and ninth inning combo the Pirates just need to fill out literally the rest of the entire bullpen to uh, have a solid one but if we remember at the beginning of the year the bullpen was solid with Richard Rodriguez there as well so uh, we'll see what happens Uh, as we know Clay Holmes went to New York and pitched pretty great so that's kind of funny but uh, 
Yeah, David Bednar is also my pick for best pitcher award for the Pirates this season. I think it's a pretty, pretty easy pick. If you had to pick a starter, though, who would you go with? Oh, God. <laughs> is there even a starter worthy of this? Actually, no, I'm wrong. There is one. I know his season, you know, he didn't, he wasn't with the team originally this year, acquired in the middle of the season. But since he came over, he's been probably the most dominant starter that we've had. And that's Dylan Peters. I mean, the guy, when he was with the Angels organization, didn't put up the best numbers. And I remember hearing the grumblings of everybody saying, oh, God, here we go. Another, you know, another experiment, you know, blah, blah, blah. Thank God we only traded cash for him because he's probably not going to pan out. But he's put up solid numbers since coming over to the Pirates. One of the more reliable options in the starting rotation. Yeah, he's screwed up a few times but i mean with how young and you know green that guy is i mean it it, it was expected but what wasn't expected was him coming over and i guess having an era under four and i'm going to say that with as much love behind it because with the way the pirates have been going this season i i honestly thought that too but watching him in triple a he was pretty good and then when he came up to the pirates i i was really pulling for him to not be another you know typical guy who would dominate in his first few outings and then suck later on. But, you know, I was really impressed with what I saw from him this year. And I think next year, if we focus on the pitching in this off season, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dylan Peters either as like the number five starter or, you know, a long relief option out of the pen. So if I had to pick a starter for that award, it would go to. Yeah, I agree. He was, he was really good. I mean, uh, like you said, he only pitched 26 and two thirds innings over six starts, but. The ERA was nice, 371. The FIP, 366. So it's not a complete mirage, even if the XFIP and the XERA are in the mid fours. I mean, I don't mind that much. He's definitely going to be a contender to be in the rotation next season, no doubt. And when you look at it, it's just so crazy to think how JT Prubaker, once again, how his season just took a downward spiral. Dylan Peters and Max Kranick. Kranick had 38 and two-thirds innings pitch. Both of them finished with higher fan graphs war than JT Brubaker, as did, we're going to get to him a little later, but Mitch Keller also finished with a higher fan graphs war. Somehow at 1.1, he pitched 100, 100 innings, which uh, that that different, definitely contributed, but the 6.17 ERA. Although his FIP, 4.3, so once again, Keller just doesn't get any luck at all but on the other hand if you look at keller's baseball reference war this season minus 0.5 so there's a pretty huge discrepancy there but uh speaking of mitch keller i guess we can go on to the gregory polanco award for biggest disappointment uh who do you got um it was a toss-up so i'll name a few yeah there's a there's a few nominees give me your nominees i mean it's kind of hard to narrow down disappointments when your team is like bottom of the barrel, but one of them, Kevin Newman. Yeah. He's good on defense, but you know, hitting 700 in spring training and batting a mere under 220, I think in the regular season, maybe a little bit over it to finish it. That just ain't going to cut the cake. And especially since he turned it on so late in the season, I, I I'm not a big fan of that. Another one, I got to say JT Brubaker. Look, yeah. I it's, it's, it's arguable that you could count him in this, in this category, because I feel like a lot of his quality starts, he was not supported with a good lineup. I can name one instance, especially when the Indians came to town. Uh, he pitched dominant that game, but Derek Shelton sent out his normal Sunday day li- or Sunday lineup. But um, 
JT, I will throw in there just because he was looking good toward the end of last season. And then he just came in and just didn't put up the best numbers. I mean, when Mitch Keller finishes better than you, that's pretty sad. Um, obviously Keller is another candidate too, but I mean, I think we are kind of used to him just being average at this point. So those are my three for this award. Um, it's hard to it's such a gray area between disappointment and someone who just straight up sucks. So yeah, that, those are my pick. I don't know if you share any of them. Uh, yeah, I got Mitch Keller as my prime disappointment just because I think we expected him to take a step forward this season and he showed signs at times, but overall body of work, just not going to cut it. And there was actually a quote from him today acknowledging that it's not going to cut it and he's going to quote work his ass off and blah 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 you know i gotta get better i gotta be better blah 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 blah. which yeah you do and hopefully that hopefully this past month where he kind of if you squint hard enough showed some signs of being decent kind of did but uh yeah he needs to be a lot better he's definitely my number one option for the gregory polanco biggest disappointment award but uh the other ones i had Gregory Polanco, he was just the worst player in baseball. And then, you know, it's actually hilarious. He's hitting like 370 for the Blue Jays AAA team, which whatever, I don't care. Not that I was expecting much from Polanco, but I was expecting, you know, him to not be the absolute worst player in baseball, which he was at least bottom 10. I don't have the numbers up now, and I don't really care to look them up. Just he was that bad. I also had this is slight... I had a little Cabrian Hayes in there. Um, I love Hayes, and I also have him for some other awards here, but with the bat, just slightly disappointed just because he was so awesome in limited time in 2020. This season, I will say, though, with the glove, everything as advertised, I, I'm beyond excited his to watch his defense. Uh, he's already the best defensive third baseman in baseball, kind of by a wide margin. And I'm already used to just seeing how smooth he is over there. The days of watching Colin Moran and Pedro Alvarez and whoever else you want to talk about over there just not be good. Brian Hayes is the complete opposite, and I already feel spoiled to watch him play that position. But offensively this season, I mean, it wasn't the best. His WRC Plus was 88, so he was a well below average hitter, even though the war was still good, but uh, with the bat, with the injuries, just slight disappointment, just six home runs. I I think that's less than he had in his limited time last season. Yeah. Well, that last season he had five home runs, but uh, yeah, I'm just, I wanted to see a little more from him offensively. That's, that's, he's like, he's down on the list there, but uh I will say the other big disappointment I had, and not because I had any expectations, because I didn't really know what to expect, but freaking Michael Perez, just so, so bad. Let me just read his slash line real quick, just to to make us all sad, if I can find it here. Um, let me see. Michael Perez. He He was at the bottom of the Pirates when it comes to he was the 63rd best pirate in terms of F4 minus 0.9. He hit 143, 221 on base with a 290 slugging. And yet somehow he still finished with seven home runs, which seven home runs on this team was the seventh highest total. 
So that's all you need to know. And also all you need to know is Gregory Polanco finished second on the team in home runs with 11. So two disappointments in there. But, yeah, that, that's that's my list of biggest disappointments this season. Um, Hayes, slight disappointment. He's I just need – he was an honorable mention. But uh, I don't know what you think about that. I didn't include Hayes. I mean, I see where you're coming from. I just didn't include him just because I, I factored in his injury earlier in the season. I felt like there was a big regression point from that. I think he's going to turn around next season with the bat. I mean, he still looked great defensively, so I can't really be upset about that. Um, Gregory Polanco, I just honestly put in the back of my head, so I didn't even realize that. But, yeah. um, but then Michael Perez takes the cake. I, if we had a, a worst player in the organization award, it would have went to Michael Perez. Um, I wouldn't even call him a disappointment because, like you said, I didn't have much many expectations for him this year, just given his prior history. But boy, he created a new low bar for him, and that's pretty, pretty upsetting. But I like the choices. Hayes, yeah, you could debate, but I yeah. feel like you said, honorable mention, no real hate behind. Him. No, no, just the absolute slightest of disappointments, and that's only from the bat. The glove, like I said, just blew me away this season and it was a it was a pure joy to watch that all right moving on i have the jt real muto gif looking at jared hughes disgustedly most frustrating player to watch for the pirates awards uh for me the most frustrating player to watch on the pirates this season was kevin newman easily just because there's a few things here one it was the broadcast team's constant, constant praising of the fact that Kevin Newman never strikes out. Isn't that awesome that Kevin Newman doesn't strike out? Well, he hit 226, 265 on base, so it's not like he walked. Yeah, he didn't strike out, but he walked even less than he struck out. His walk rate was 4.9%. And then the 309 slugging, the 54 WRC plus he was clearly one of the worst hitters in baseball and um, his hard hit rate which is fun to look at 22.3 percent which was his lowest hard hit rate since 2018 when he was also absolutely terrible it was 18 percent then he's never been one to hit the ball hard as we both know his career high in that department's like 27 and a half percent. That was last season, but uh, just the most predictable ground out after ground out. Let me see his ground ball rate here. I'm sure it's high. Uh, yeah. His ground ball rate this season, 44.3%. So ground out soft, soft, easy. Whenever, whenever you think of a, 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 a coach hitting, Nice, easy fly balls with the fungo bat. That is what a Kevin Newman fly out is like. You can just, you can rest under it. You can put your picnic blanket out under that soft, easy pop fly to left field. Maybe make yourself a sandwich and reel it in just so easily because just the soft hit. And we got that all season long, especially too after spring training, which I don't expect anything from spring training, but it was kind of like a slap in the face for him to hit 700 in spring training because you just knew that that is that is not anything resembling what we're going to see this season. And uh, he was just he was just straight up terrible. 
somehow his war was a positive war. And, you know, it's funny. He had the same exact WRC plus 54 in both 2020 and 2021, which to me is hilarious. 2019, obviously, he was a pretty good player. Actually, a, a decently good player. A, a, like a like a good, solid player. He was solid in 2019. But, uh, yeah, I think he's going to be back next season, too. I think he's going to be the opening day short stuff. But Kevin Newman, for me, takes the cake 100%. I don't even have any other nominees for the most frustrating pirate to watch in 2021. Yeah, I have to go with that. That or Perez. But I think Newman does take the cake, like you said. Not only, not just like a. Well, first of all, the broadcasters all. Let me let me poke your brain. Was that Joe Block that always said that? Yeah, it was Joe Block. Sometimes it was opposing broadcasters too, but everyone just loved to praise his his uh, positive aspects. Like, yeah, he's he played a really great shortstop this season. He did. He was solid defensively, and I felt safe anytime a ground ball was hit to him. But, uh, you know, whenever you hit 220 and you slug 309 and you don't get on base, I just I can't take it, especially to time after time after time. Our boy, Derek Shelton, would put him either first or second. Uh, just just absolutely. It's crazy. Uh, talk about Kevin Newman, because I actually want to look up how many times he hit first or second this season. <laughs> All right. So Kevin Newman obviously frustrating for everybody to watch or to hear if you're listening to the radio to games, because obviously it could be like that. Um, and we should probably call that the Joe block favoritism award, just because yeah. I feel like he really highlights the terrible players, all the positive aspects about them. Um, but yeah, Kevin Newman, like you, I felt comfortable when he was on defense, obviously a vacuum cleaner, very reliable. He's made some great web gems this year, but hitting wise, I mentioned it earlier. You're the spring training batting champ hitting over 700. Now, obviously, that's easy to do when you face the Orioles 500 times in spring training, but give credit where credit's due. He put the ball in play, and he made it count. With that being said, with a player that's always putting the ball in play like Kevin Newman, you would expect him to at least get a a, a good amount of hits or something like that. Obviously, he's not a power hitter, so maybe more singles than anything, but still, the guy just did not hit. Like You mentioned his power. There is none to it. You could camp under a fly ball and you'd have a few days in order to do that. You could do your taxes while Kevin Newman hits a fly ball. He's just not that good to watch. And obviously he's just going to stay with us while we're rebuilding. I agree. He'll be the opening day shortstop blocking a spot from, Oh, I don't know. Cole Tucker who had a hot streak at the end of this year. You know, I think he's definitely earned it or O'Neill Cruz, the shortstop of the future. Um, which is so sad to say, because I really, I, I'm over the Kevin Newman experiment, but to each his own, that's what we're going to see out of Kevin Newman. It's just aggravating watching him to play nowadays. Like JT Romito, you wouldn't see a subtle uh, head nod. You would just. Just shaking your head. Just shake. He would, you would pan to the camera and you'd just hear, see him mouthing the words. Are you fucking kidding me? This guy again. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't like Kevin Newman. He's a, he was a disappointing player this year. Probably could have helped generate a lot of offense if he just stayed consistent. Um, but regardless, biggest disappointment this season, Kevin Newman. I agree. Yeah, definitely. He, he's definitely up for the biggest disappointment award as well. Um, but, yeah, I will say, yeah, 
Kevin Newman definitely sold his soul to the BAPIP gods in spring training when he hit 700 because his BAPIP this season was 236. That is just insanely low. And I have the amount of uh, games he hits in, like, where he hit in the lineup. Kevin Newman hit leadoff 11 times this season. Just take a guess at his batting average. Just out of the blue. Um, this is a this is a cold, hard guess. What do you think Kevin Newman hit when he batted leadoff this season? Wait, did you say how many games he played? Because it conked out a little bit, so I might have Yeah, he hit. He he led off in eleven games, had forty six plate appearances. I want you to guess uh, his batting average or the amount of hits he's had. I'll guess, yeah, I'll guess the uh, I'll guess the batting average. Let's go. Okay, out of forty six plate appearances, I'm gonna say that he posted a batting average of one twelve. <laughs> That's pretty close, but. You gave him a little too much credit with that. He hit 087, 087, 109 as the leadoff hitter of the Pirates this season in 11. He went four for 46 with one double. That's it. Seven strikeouts, no walks, 11 games. He hit leadoff, (laughs) which, I mean, yeah, you could just shake your head while listening. And shake your head some more because he hit second in the order 31 times, which was the third most uh, places he hit in the order. He hit seventh 34 times and eighth 34 times, started 33 times in each of those. So he hit seventh and eighth a lot, but he hit second a lot as well. Okay. He he hit fifth five times this season. (laughs) That's just incredible. Had his fair share times hitting sixth as well. But, uh, you know, it's funny because you put Kevin Newman at the bottom of the lineup. When you have him hitting eighth, he wasn't bad this season. He hit 274 average, 322 on base with a 416 slugging. It's not good by any means, but that is not terrible for an eight hitter. So, you know, I'm like I'm kind of at peace with the fact that he's going to be the opening day shortstop next season. But by God, if he is, if he hits any place in the order higher than eighth one time, I'm just gonna I'm gonna scream. I'm gonna rip my hair out because as an eight hole hitter, you know, he is Ronnie Cedeno, he is Clint Barmas, he is insert whatever crap hitting shortstop you want to say for the Pirates over the past um umph years uh he's that but please do not have him hit higher than eighth please because i i don't know if i could take it i don't know if i could take lead off kevin newman or batting second kevin newman one more time in my entire life we'll get your oxygen mask because we're forgetting who is in charge of this team and that is Derek <laughs> shelton so he's probably gonna be like oh you know nooms is doing great in the spring training he's gonna bat lead off for us opening day we have full confidence in him he's just a that's not a bad uh that's not a bad Derek Shelton to be honest. But yeah. Kevin Newman for me easily wins the most frustrating pirate award. We can move on now to the Jose Tabata Award for your favorite cult hero. I think I know who yours is, so I'll let you go first. I think it's obvious based off my Twitter activity, <laughs> based off the recent podcast episodes. It's the Polish wonder, John Nagowski. I mean, dude, he yeah, he regressed toward the end of his Pirates career, but 
for his first, what, 13 games, the dude was on fire. He hit a ton. He was gritty. He was like probably the first sign of AJ Burnett that we've seen since Burnett played. And by that, I don't mean like a great pitcher. I mean, like just in your face, doesn't care. He will tell you off whenever he wants to, whenever he wants to, when he stood up to Marcus Stroman, I became an ultimate stand for life. So I'm sure you guessed it, Nate, and I'm sure the listeners guessed it out there. John Nagowski takes home my word for Jose Tabata. Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a sound choice, and I, I'll highlight it here. First, you said it, 13 games. I'll say 12 games to make it sound a little better. His first 12 games with the Pirates, 12 starts, 21 hits in 48 at-bats, 53 plate appearances. That's a 438, 491, 583 slugging. That's that's a OPS above 1,000. Sadly, though, uh, from then on out, his next 21 games, he hit 127, 200, 175. But that's besides the point. The beginning of the Nagowski era, era was – it was fun. He was nice. Um and he signed with the Giants, and the Giants make anyone good. So it was a two-year minor league deal, I would say, for the Giants. But, uh, yeah, that those two weeks in the middle of July, the beginning to middle of July, those were some fun weeks. And he, he was nice. He was good. He hit some real nice ground balls through the 5.5 hole to get some hits. And uh, Nagowski... He brought a little edge to the team that it definitely lacked in the first few months of the season. And although the Pirates didn't really win a whole lot, he, uh, well, let's see. In those first 12 games, what, what, what was the Pirates' record? They were, let me see here, 6-6. Six and six. So they played 500 ball for 12 games in the 12 games that John Nagowski was good. So uh, that that was fun, and he was he was a cult hero for sure. And I saw I think it was Jason Mackey when he was uh, was that you that you tweet you quote tweeted seeing a John Nagowski jersey in line for the O'Neill Cruz game. That was not me actually. Uh, it wasn't you via the Bucks dugout Twitter. Nope, that was not me. Oh well, someone pointed it out via the Bucks dugout Twitter. But uh, yeah, there was a Nagowski jersey in attendance, and there you see a few Nagowski jerseys out there now, and that will be five years from now. You'll see someone with a John Nagowski Jersey and you're just going to be like, Oh yeah, those, those were the, those were the dark days, but he definitely provided a little bit of light for a small period of time in those dark days. And it was fun. It was definitely fun. My cult hero award. I think it has to be Nagowski, but I'll, I'll throw an honorable mention to Yoshi Susugo. He, uh, he's been nice. He's been nice. And I think, uh, Pittsburgh has really, they've really enjoyed, they really enjoyed what he brought to the pirates in his, uh, 144 plate appearances, 43 games kind of tailed off at the end there overall though, a really solid 268, 347, 535 line with the pirates, those eight home runs tied for fourth on the team in in one fourth of a season that he played here um i really hope the pirates bring him back next season and uh yeah i think he's he's gained a little bit of a cult following as well so 
That kind of brings us to our next award, though, which for me is also uh, also Yoshi, and that's the Garrett Jones Award for Best Waiver Claim. But uh, I will say Garrett Jones wasn't actually a waiver claim. He was a free agent signing, but I don't care. To me, in my head, he was a waiver claim. But to me, it's Yoshi, easily. Who do you got? Mine's got to be Ben Gamble. Um, and- I had to make sure that he was a waiver claim at first. Cause I honestly forgot if he was, or if we just signed him, but um, with all the injuries to the outfield or just underperformances, we needed somebody out there. And I mean, this guy was a pirate killer for years and I'm really glad that we finally got him. And I mean, yeah, he tapered off hitting wise toward the end of the season, but when he first came, he was a dull threat, both offensive and defensively. Um, but toward the end of the year, he became more defensive. Uh, he flashed the leather out there. Um, I feel like if he would have played a full season in Pittsburgh, could have been a gold glove candidate. Um, and ever since then, I mean, he's just been one of my favorite players to watch, even if he's not the greatest. Um, and I mean, I think we just needed that. Uh, we needed somebody like Gamble in our lineup, in our lineup um, and in the field as well. Cause uh, he just, he helped Reynolds out there, I guess, cover some ground and in the lineup when he first came, I mean, what was it? Was it that first week he had like a two homer game or something? Yeah, that sounds right. I remember in maybe not the early days, but Gamble definitely went on a tear for a while where he was the hardest out in the lineup. That honestly may have been during the Nagowski times. I think it was because they both came around at the same time and they were just, they were on fire. I'm like, oh my God, the dynamic duo nobody ever heard of Nagowski and Gamble, but I'll take it. Yeah. Gamble is also that's a that's probably a better pick than me. And I just looked it up. Yoshi was also signed as a free agent, so he wasn't even a waiver pickup. But whatever, random pickup of the year. You could also rename the award. But uh, Gamble was solid, and I do think that next season he's going to be starting in one of those corner outfield spots. And you look at it, he was a slightly above average hitter with the Pirates, and his glove was just good enough. And in 111 games with the Pirates, he was a 1.3 F4 guy. So over a full season, maybe next season, if he can keep it rolling, maybe he's a 2-3 to three win guy. And, you know, that's a solid player. That's a good starting player in the majors. So you hope that he can continue his success into next season. And I don't think there's any question that the Pirates will bring him back because you look at it, he's not a free agent. He is an arbitration guy, still has two more years of control. So uh, he'll be back next season. And once again, the Pirates suck. Maybe that's a trade shift. <laughs> I hate to say it, but Ben Gam was the Pirates' fifth best position player this old way. No, let me see. He also had eight home runs, which was tied for fourth on the team. But Ben Gamble, yep. Fifth best position player for the Pirates this season, according to F4. And uh, I agree. He was a really nice pickup for the squad this year. Moving on, we have the Jason Bay Award. This is Team Rookie of the Year. Who you got? This was tough, considering all the all the minor leaguers that were called up and who started the season with us. I had to, like, dig through the archives of this one. But, um. I don't even have like a, a clear candidate for it, but I guess if I had to pick one, I'd go Max Kranich. He showed signs of life, a perfect debut. Yeah. I got banged around a few times, but other than that, he's looked pretty in control out there on the mound. And I mean, the guy came up 
from double A Altoona, sort of like Rodolfo Castro. But, uh, you know, when you skip two levels to the major leagues in one season, that says something about your potential and about your ability. And I think Kranich has displayed more than enough of it. Um, I'm not going to go out here and say that he's the next ace of the rotation because clearly that's uh, still to be determined with all the pitching, uh, you know, the young arms that we have down in the minors and possibly who we're going to sign. But I, I think he's a solid, a solid arm. And for the amount of times he took the field today with a lineup that barely supported him or today, I say, should say this year, um, he did him, he did himself pretty well. I'd say handled his own ground other than getting banged up a few times. Um, I think he's got good control of his pitches. They break pretty well. Um, one thing I think he could just work on is his velocity in the off season. But other than that, I think kids got potential and he showed some of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kranick was solid. I think he, he's going to be one of those guys that will be, uh, in competition for a starting rotation spot. We've kind of talked about this before, but it's going to be him. It's going to be Dylan Peters. It's going to be Bryce Wilson. It's going to be, uh, you know, probably Keller and Brubaker. Honestly, I don't know. I'm not sure if anyone has a spot locked up for the rotation next season, but Kranich will definitely be in the discussion. And he was, he had some bad starts, but he had some decent starts as well. And um, the ERA at the end of the year didn't look good, 628, but the X ERA, 454, so he was a bit unlucky at times. He showed some things that the thing with these pitchers will crow that's another guy that'll be competing for a uh a rotation spot next year and also on will crow side note here definitely a contender for most frustrating player of the season that's besides the point though um Kranich, like a lot of these pitchers i was saying they showed flashes in the pan at times. Even Will Crow, who I just mentioned, he had nine strikeouts in his final outing of the year and looked really good over six innings, only gave up one hit. He looked really, really good. But they, with all of these pitchers, they just need to compile solid innings and stay consistent and show more than just flashes here or there. They need to really buckled down and stack out one after another and we'll see what happens this offseason we'll see what kind of progression takes hold I will say I've, I've kind of uh, thought about this the fact that these pitchers have gotten major league experience I think they'll only get better from having that experience and I think all of these pitchers should get better next season and if not all of them some of them should at least be better. Will Crow should be better than, you know, a minus 0.6. Oh, wait, no, he was actually minus 0.3. That last start was so good. He uh, upped the F4 there. But some of these pitchers should just be better, and I think they will be because of the experience. We'll see. But uh, Kranich's a he's definitely a solid pick. My pick, um, Kind of like the obvious chalk pick, but I, I did have to Brian Hayes as the Pirates rookie of the year because he is still technically a rookie. We kind of went over him earlier, though. Hitting, maybe not the grasp, the best, but the fielding was just phenomenal. I'll uh, reiterate that again. And moving forward next season, if Hayes can stay healthy and play a full 
150 so games. He played 96 games this season, so not a ton. Um, but uh, I think next season he'll take a step forward even more so with the bat if he can stay on the field, which there's no reason why he shouldn't. He got so unlucky first series of the year this season, got hit in the wrist with a pitch, which there's nothing you can do about that. You can't call him injury prone for something like that. It was just pure bad luck. But uh, yeah, Hayes is my rookie of the year, but that's that's a solid pick with Kranich. Some others, um, there's really not a lot. You could go O'Neill Cruz if you really wanted to, but yeah, a lot of a lot of people got chances this season, but I don't know, not a lot of great great performances from the rookies, I would say. But Kranich was decent; he definitely was. Yeah, and I mean, you could have went like you said, you went Kibrian Hayes. I feel like that could have been the case for a lot of people. I just I didn't want to go Kibrian because I feel like that's the obvious pick. Exactly. And with all the with all the young stars that were brought up this year, I needed to recognize somebody that wasn't obvious like that. So I, I, hopefully it'll be a little bit more clear cut down the road when we bring up, say, one big prospect and they do well. But, yeah, that was a good award to do, and I, I like the choices for it. Yeah. All right. So we have a few more here. This next one is the Johnny Cueto Award for favorite moment of the season. Obviously, I'm referencing the uh, drop ball, but what what was your favorite moment this season from the Buckos? I think my favorite moment this season, um, I got to say the Stallings Grand Slam against the Mets, that walk-off was very close to my top pick, but I had to go the Cole Tucker big game, that eight-run huh? eight eighth inning with uh, against the Reds. First of all, it's against the Reds, so I think it's a little fitting for this Johnny Cueto award. Um, but it ties into the fact that Cole Tucker, who completely shit the bed in the opening part of the season, sort of bounced back. And, you know, after Rick Eckstein's firing, I tweeted that out saying that was probably the best thing for him. Um, and I think that game showed it. He had a major, he had a grand slam, his first granny, a few defensive uh, gems as well. And I think it really helped the Pirates kickstart that big inning. Michael Chavis had a good uh, good performance, but Cole Tucker was the ultimate reason the Pirates had that success that game. So I have to give Cole Tucker a little bit of credit after completely you know, yelling at him through the microphone all year long. Uh, that has to be my favorite, my favorite Pirates moment. And I think I know which one yours was, so that's why I had to take that one. Okay. I will say, too, uh, those catches that he had, I forget which game was that this past weekend. Was this that was that this past Friday? I believe that was a big night. Yeah. I thought uh, that was a the, weekend, the, yeah. the catch he made to make the double play. I just want to like talk about that for a second because he ran out to shallow to mid. It was more than shallow right field. It was almost the middle of right field made a diving catch. And my favorite part of that play is he made the diving catch, jumped up immediately out of pure uh just excitement you could tell he, he kind of pumped his arms a little bit like oh yeah i just made that catch and then he looked and he was like oh shit we can double up the runner and then he made the throw to moran on the one hopper i just i loved that that was so pure just an awesome catch obviously he got up because he was so pumped and then after realized that he could uh double up the runner and he did exactly that and it was one of the best defensive plays of the year for the Pirates and probably one of the best defensive plays 
of the year for uh, the whole whole Major League Baseball. Uh, my favorite moment, I I don't know if this is obvious. It the the Stallings walk off Grand Slam is definitely up there. But for me personally, I really enjoyed the Jacob Stallings walk off home run against the San Francisco Giants. That came in the middle of May. The Pirates were down six to two in the seventh inning and came all the way back. They won eight to six. Stallings hit the walk off two run homer, uh, and he had his famous bat drop. It wasn't really a flip. It was the pimp it. I hit the home run. I dropped the bat immediately. And for me, it was my favorite moment of the year because I was at that game. It was one of only two games that I attended this season. And uh, it was just, it was a really exciting game. It was exciting too at the time because that was the first pirate game that I had been to since COVID. And it was kind of the first, you don't have to wear a mask in the stadium type of time, middle of May. And uh, for me, it was the first time really this summer, I guess, where things kind of sort of got back to normal. And it was a really great game. And uh, it was really exciting to watch. And Stallings, he uh, he hit the walk-off two-run dinger. And also, too, it was against the best team in baseball. So that that adds another layer of uh, joy for me. I, I really enjoyed that game. Well, yeah, nothing beats whenever you're actually there and you experience that in real life. That's a lot different than, say, watching it over TV or watching the highlight reel or something like that. That's a little different. And then, like you said, it was against baseball's best team, obviously, right now where we're at in the playoff race. That definitely holds a special meaning, especially when the Pirates were rumored to be like the worst or second worst team in baseball. That ha- that has a very good ring to it. I don't want to take away from the Stallings Grand Slam against the Mets because obviously that was freaking awesome to watch. But yeah, your scenario is different just because you were there. You experienced it in real time. The opponent we faced and just everything that was behind that game. So, yeah, it was I, – I, I definitely think that that was one of the greatest moments. Uh, yeah, and for the uh, Grand Slam, too, that Stallings, that pitch, that was crazy because that pitch was like six inches off the plate inside, and somehow Stallings got his hands in and wrapped it around the pool, and it was hilarious, too, because Edwin Diaz threw it, and off a of contact, he did the old pitcher point into the air, like, oh, there's a pop-up, go catch it. Wasn't caught. It was a grand slam. That was awesome, too. I will say both games I were at, I was at this season were walk-off wins. I was there a few weeks ago for the Brian Hayes walk-off single against – who was that against? That was against the Nationals. So uh, I got to see two walk-off wins this season. 2-0 and this year going to game. So. Okay. So we, so we know that anytime the Pirates play, we just got to send Nate to the game and they'll yeah. instantly win. Uh, Maybe in theatrical fashion. Yeah, yeah. The sample size is definitely sound. Two games, that's more than enough to uh, prove that that is a scientific fact that when I go, the Pirates win via the walk-off. So, yeah. Jacob Stallings, Grant, or, uh, two-run shot against the Giants. That was mine. And yours is solid, too, because Cool Tucker, when he does things well, it, it really is extremely exciting to watch because he does have that presence of just uh a fun fun player and he he has that energy you just really root for him to put it all together and learn how to hit somewhat consistency so we can see more of that but uh it was definitely cool to watch him 
have a taste of success at the major league level. All right. Two more awards. These are both minor league awards. This one is the other Gregory Polanco award for best minor league player this season. And this could be any minor league player. Uh, the other award is the Brad Eldred award for best non-top prospect minor league player. But uh, in general, best minor league player, I had O'Neill Cruz. Um, this is a bit of recency bias as we just saw him come up to Pittsburgh and hit a home run um, Sunday. But Cruz, I mean, he was injured a decent part of the season. He didn't really play all that much. But in total, he uh, he was really great in double-A, trying to get his numbers up here. Um, in double-A, I know he hit – he slugged over 500. He hit 12 home runs. The line here overall, 292, 346. 536 slugging, 12 home runs, 18 stolen bases too. That was in double A. And then obviously in triple A, I mean, it was just insane. The uh, 524 average, 655 on base and 1286 slugging with a crisp 370 RP, uh, WRC plus. Yeah, it was only 29 plate appearances, but he had five home runs in six games. That was just insane he scored 11 runs in six games i mean that's just insane overall at the minor league level 17 home runs and in just 300 and let me see 302 plate appearances so 17 home runs 302 plate appearances then he came up for the pirates and hit a home run there as well o'neill cruz is my pick for minor league player of the year and I'm going to go lower uh, in the in the farm system. Bradenton Marauders have had themselves an excellent season, uh, clearly taking home the low A Southeast Championship. One of the big contributors to that was Andy Rodriguez, came over. I believe he was from the Mets in that Joe Musgrove trade. Um, and for the Marauders this season, 294 average, 15 homers, 73 ribbies. There was hardly a night where you didn't see his name pop up in the Marauders highlight reel. So he's had himself quite a strong year. Um, and plus he played, uh, I think he transitioned to first base, played outfield too, might've caught a few too. So that's a unique combination right there. The Pirates so desperately need, but in the postseason, he put up a 462 average. That's not bad, especially for your first year with a new organization. That speaks volumes of what we can expect from you as you develop your way through the minor league system. So I got to give credit to the low A club and Andy Rodriguez. Yeah, that's a great pick as well. You could also throw Nick Gonzalez in there for uh, high A Greensboro, 18 home runs in 369 plate appearances. He hit 302, 385, 565 slugging. I know he was a little advanced. He's 22 years old, a little advanced to be crushing it in high A, but He's going to be called up immediately, I would assume, to double-A. I believe he was called up already to uh, to double-A, and he'll be with the curve next season. And hopefully at some point he gets the call to triple-A as well. And I would expect the Pirates will call Nick Gonzalez up to the major leagues probably in the summer of 2023. And, I mean, I'm dreaming about it right now. You got you – got, Nick Gonzalez at second base. You got Cruz at shortstop. You got Hayes at third. 
that is a dream in field right there. Just think of all the ground that will be covered uh, and just think of all of the offense that will be produced if all three of those guys work out and reach maybe not their ceilings, but at least climb close to it. If they do that, they will all be great for the Pirates. And uh, side note, I don't care. I'm all for keep O'Neill Cruz at shortstop. I don't care. I will live with some occasional errors. You know, you see Javi Baez out there. He's an awesome shortstop. Sometimes he makes some throwing errors. Sometimes Fernando Tatis Jr., he'll make his fair share of errors too. Cruz at shortstop, keep him there. Um, I think it was Tim Williams that made the point that he's more of a playmaker in terms, in in a way of like, he, he makes amazing plays may not make the sound play every time and may have some errors. But whenever you have someone like Cabrian Hayes at third, that makes up for a lot of that. So I'm all for keeping Cruz at shortstop for as long as humanly possible, just because it's, it's, it's just cool to see a six, seven dude playing shortstop. It's just cool to watch. It's uh, aesthetically pleasing. And I saw too with, with Cruz and Cole Tucker in the middle infield, six, seven and six, three, that was the tallest middle infield in major league history so that's that's pretty fun too if you throw stallings in there too he's at six five he's the tallest catcher in baseball the pirates have a pretty tall infield in general but uh i'm kind of uh rambling here a bit but yeah nick Gonzalez also a solid pick for minor league player of the year uh you kind of you kind of had it with Andy, but who is your best non-top prospect minor leaguer of the year my best non-top prospect, a little bit of a reach in some fans' eyes, but, I mean, with all the talent in our organization, it's kind of easy to overlook him. But Trey Mago has had himself quite a solid season um, with the Altoona Curve and uh, Greensboro Grasshoppers. He started out this season, um, started around the May area or the May time, but uh, he was quickly called up to AA Altoona in June. I was actually looking um, – he was not drafted by the Pirates. He was signed out of a uh, Northeast Conference school in Mount St. Mary's from my area. Actually, well, he's from around my area, pitched in the Westpac Conference in high school uh, with the Ferndale Yellow Jackets. And some people may say that bring that I bring that up because a lot of people say, oh, it's the you know, you got to look at the competition that he's facing um, in high school as well as college. Now, high school around here, around our area. It's not the strongest. I will attest to that I played in it. It is not the strongest in the world. So, you know, obviously those numbers can be skewed based off who you play, but in Mount St. Mary's, he was solid. Pirates took a chance on him, a hometown kid, and he's paying off right now. Uh, 2021, he was in 24 games with the curve, six and five record, 319 ERA and 113 innings pitched, uh, 90 Ks, 1.12 whip as well. And his career in the minor leagues so far with the Pirates only been, I think one and a half seasons, maybe, because I, th- I knew he came over in 2019. Nine and six, 334, 145 innings pitched, 131 strikeouts. The kid is on fire. And I don't think too many people understand where exactly he may fall in terms of the Pirates' success rate, or at least their organizational success rate. The kid right now is on fire. He's doing great. He's going to move up to AAA next year. You can put a stamp on that. And um, he's just going to be one of those very underrated picks that not many people have seen before. But once he's up in AAA or the MLB, you're going to know who Trey Mago is. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. He was not really on my radar a lot this season, but kind of sold me there. I 
really hope it works out for him. I was kind of looking at his numbers too. Um, a little older. He's already 23, I believe. But that, I mean, that's not that's not the worst thing in the world. The player I picked too is also old for his uh, level of competition, and that was Jared Triolo. Uh, he played in Greensboro this season. High A. He is already 23 as well, but he was really good this year. 304, 369, 480 slugging, 15 home runs, and 473 plate appearance. He is definitely uh, – he's my non-top prospect minor league player of the year. But also, this is kind of a fringe, uh, a fringe player in terms of him. Is he a top prospect? Is he not? Did he maybe perhaps – uh, play his way into being a top prospect. And that is uh, Matt Frazier. I'm trying to pick up, I'm trying to uh, find his numbers here. But as we know, he started the year once again, sort of uh, older for his level. I believe he's 23. But um, where is he at? Basically, though, he tore it up in Greensboro. He was absolutely awesome. Um, sorry, I'm still trying to find him here on fan graphs. But uh, he got called up to double A, was also awesome there. And we'll see. He definitely climbed some prospect rankings. He was not really a pros- like a high-end prospect before the season started. But uh, he he definitely... Definitely rose some boards, I would say. And, um, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. This season, as a total, he uh, he hit 306, 388, 552. That's at both levels. 23 home runs, 26 doubles, 6 triples. Really solid. And, like I said, he was awesome at high A, but he didn't really slow down all that much at double A. Hit 288. 356, 492, and he had three home runs with them in 149 plate appearances. So we'll see what he continues to do moving forward. Like I said, he's a little older, 23, but uh, definitely a chance. You'll, you'll probably see him at AAA next season at some point. Um, yeah, overall solid season from him as well. Yeah, I, I feel like Frazier is a really good uh, player in the Pirates organization. Um, just hope that he keeps his stature as one of their top prospects. And if he is, I think he's going to be a solid fit in the organization. So I'm hoping for the best of him. Yeah. So uh, that'll that'll do it for our Pirates season awards here in 2021. Once again, the Pirates, not the best of years, 61 and 101. But uh, definitely some optimism moving forward. And in terms of this podcast moving forward, we're still going to have some episodes. I would like to uh, maybe after the postseason ends have a Pirates offseason outlook episode, what what they need to do, what moves they should make, both uh, players and coaches. Uh, we could do that kind of soon, though. I think we should also have a minor league just complete minor league season wrap up, kind of just really dig in to what a lot of the minor league players did because there's a lot in there and we could kind of just analyze the minor leagues as a whole. That might be pretty soon here. And Jake, I don't know if you're down, but 
I think too we should just have some straight up playoff episodes. We could just talk about good teams for a change and uh just kind of talk about the games. I don't know how excited you are for October baseball. I know football season's here and that's kind of number 1, but I am pretty pumped to watch some playoff October baseball. Yeah, I'll be I'll be pumped to watch some October baseball, especially considering where the Steelers are at. I'd rather watch watch that at that point. Yeah, I agree. Um yeah, that'll wrap up things for today. Jake, where are we going to follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at underscore. Awesome. Follow me, Nathan Hirsch, at Nathan underscore Hirsch, H-U-R-S-H. And, of course, follow Bucks Dugout on Twitter, at Bucks Dugout. We're going to have some good off-season coverage coming to you. Um and this is a pretty important offseason for the Pirates in general. They definitely need to take a step forward next season. Not saying they need to be a playoff team or even a 500 team, but uh, they need to be better than 21 or uh, 61 wins, sorry, in the 21 season. Jake, any final thoughts here before we uh, sign off? Just thank you to everyone who tuned in this season. We look forward to, we hope that that you can stick around with us here in the off season. Lots of content, uh, great content ahead. And I'm um, looking. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you to all of the listeners out there who uh, stuck with us all season long. It was fun to start this podcast. It, it's crazy that we ended on episode 50 to close out the season because I remember just like yesterday, we started episode one um, and that was a, preseason outlook and i i believe this podcast has come a pretty long way since that first episode i remember i did that solo and if you go back and listen to it it pretty much sucked really bad and i was a little nervous at the time kind of ran out of things to say but uh, i think jake both you and me we've uh we've been making progress with the pod and it's it's fun to talk baseball and buckos in general no matter no matter how much they struggle. I mean, talking sports is, there's, there's nothing better than it. So, uh, yeah, thank you to all the listeners. We will continue to uh, keep pumping out the pods. Yeah, and thank you and uh, Jeremy and Darren for bringing me on halfway through the season. I know it's kind of rough adjusting in the middle of the season, uh, bringing somebody on, but I'm very thankful to be part of the Bucks Dagout group and community and can't wait to see what the future holds for sure. And I think it was a pretty seamless fit. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to keep on making these pods. Not sure exactly when we will be back. I'm not sure. I don't, I would assume that maybe some weeks we'll have two pods. Maybe some weeks we'll have one pod. We have, we have to kind of uh, straighten out the schedule here moving forward, but there will be podcasts, no doubt. Yep, and uh, let's get. Yeah, we'll get to it. All right, thanks for everyone for listening. Have a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. Enjoy the sports. Enjoy the Cardinals beating the Dodgers in the wild card game because I'm just convinced that that's going to happen, and I've been convinced that that's going to happen for like the past month. It's going to happen, but uh, yeah, everyone have a great, great rest of your whatever, and peace out.